0: Welcome to Living With Purpose, the interview series where Francis Lynch speaks to various people about what purpose means to them and explores what gives them the energy to do what they do. Most people have got a story to tell, and these interviews show that extraordinary stories come from ordinary and not-so-ordinary people. So listen on as we explore purpose and meaning, and hopefully learn a little about some great people.
1: In this interview with Suzanne Waldron, you'll meet a woman who has made many major transitions in her life, and who now helps other people to do the same. Suzanne specialises in the field of human behavioural change and holds a master's degree in applied coaching and neurolinguistics. She works as a coach, a motivational speaker, and as a group facilitator. As you'll hear, she's also great fun, makes people laugh and smile, and has worked out pretty clearly what her purpose in life is all about. Please join me as I have a conversation with Suzanne. Thank you, Suzanne, for coming along and being part of the podcast this morning. Um, I've given an introduction to you uh, already, but um, how would you describe yourself in your own words?
2: My first thought came just then, and that was crazy. (laughs) That was my first first word (laughs) that came to my head.
1: Well, that definitely wasn't in my introduction. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, that's okay. You can keep that out. Um, so how would I describe myself? I just, I, you know, okay, so the second thing that comes to me is around uh, feeling that there is possibility for people in the world. And so my life is about helping people to see possibility. And so describing myself is uh, I feel very open to connection with other humans um, and I, when I really decide on something that I want, I go and get it. But I do it in my way. I don't like to necessarily conform to the way of the world um, and, you know, just find my own sense of uniqueness and be it fully. Yeah. So that's why crazy probably came to my head <laughs> first. Um, but, yeah, so to describe myself is very much about, you know, being joyful, connected to other people and going for what I want and helping others do the same.
1: yeah. That, that's really great um, in terms of your I mean that's that's a description I, I think in terms of the way that you're talking about it a description of who you are and and where you're at but maybe can you give us a, a little bit of a perspective in terms of you know where you've come from what's your journey been in terms of getting to here what mm. what's been something that's or you know what are the things that have really made a difference to, to make you who you are now yeah.
2: Um, So very early on in my life, well, I was eight years old when I had a nervous breakdown. So to to go all the way back to the beginning, I'm from England originally, and my parents were truck drivers, so we drove around Europe um, in a truck together. So my whole very early...
1: So that were both truck drivers? Both
2: truck drivers. My mum was a truck driver as well. We are called Lady Lurie drivers in England. She was one of very few, five foot one, tiny... And just really, you know, like a quite a tomboy, you know, yeah, woman. Yeah. And so she would drive one and my dad would drive another and I would be one with one of them at any given time if I wasn't out of school. Yeah. So, um, when I was very, very young, around about the age of five, my dad actually had an affair with a fifteen year old. So he was about forty six without having to go into all of the detail of no. that, you can imagine that that yeah, would cause, that was... you know, issues. And I found them together and then told my mum. So, you know, it was a big, big part of the, uh, the the breakup in some ways. And by the time I was eight, I was actually in foster care. So I went to a Dutch family. Um, my dad had moved in with the 15-year-old. They actually became married and were together for a very long time. Oh, okay. And my mum went off into a different direction and and had different um, partners and because of the breakup and the obvious you know uh, legalities of the breakup and the fact that my mum was actually quite um, an unwell person mentally i ended up in foster care and that's when i had a, a nervous breakdown so uh, all of that led then into homelessness by the time I was 15. So we can we can go into any of this as much as you want. I'm just giving you the, the high yeah,
1: stuff no, 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 to start no, no. with. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think it, it, it's – I mean, these are things that obviously have had a major impact mm. uh, in terms of where you've come from. That's right. And and maybe paint a picture as to That's how right. you've become yeah. who you are now. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so, so by the time I was 15 – uh, I was homeless in England, um, living in fields and cars rather than streets. It was in the country. And, and then t- by the time I was um, 17, I've met my now husband, so we've been together 20 years next year. Wow. Well, I know. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm old enough to say that, but I am just. <laughs> I'm just old enough to say that. And, uh, and then I moved to Australia and, and I had some really difficult years um, but now I work in human behavioural change. I've done a lot of study and work in, in in how humans operate, literally like a manual for the brain. And I work with people really deeply on the, what happens within inside of them that doesn't serve them. So that's my quick snap, snapshot.
1: Yeah, and so so when you say you you work with people uh, to to help them unlock or, or to work with what doesn't serve them, um, uh, obviously that's that's really as you say, quite deep work, and, and uh, is, there, is there anything that really um, not drove you but but sort of pointed you in that direction of, of really trying to work out um, how, how you
2: ended up in that work, yes. I suppose? yeah. When I was really young, uh, I was really able to build rapport very quickly, and I think that comes in hindsight down to creating safety, so the quicker I could get people on my side, the quicker they, or the more likely they weren't going to be able to hurt me or want to hurt me because I was hurt a lot from the very early ages. You know, people, one of my mum's partners had dragged me along the, the street when I was very small, six or whatever, to my feet bled because we were late for school, so all those sorts of things. So I think very early on I learned to build rapport okay. and so my relationships with people were quite deep and, and also very transparent. So finding myself all the way through my life, thinking about what I wanted to do, I didn't think like that. I was in survival mode for a long time. And all I did know that I was really good at at serving people. I was really good at connecting and communicating with people. And then once I put a bit of study to that a little bit later on, because I was in leadership roles in corporate world and things like that. And and as I started to solve and release a lot of my old hurt and – and help forgiveness happen, I became a lot cleaner, if you like, of my old world, you know, the old world that I was living in, and then was able to see outside of myself and beyond myself. And that's when I started to realise that I had the capacity to to learn about humans and then help them. So I had to do my own work first.
1: So was that a self-led journey, though, that when you yes. say you're doing your own work, it was, it was personal reflection and... and- Reading and, and whatever.
2: yeah, I um, did. I did my master's degree in coaching, and that over a several period, uh, several years of a period. Um, we we basically had to use ourselves as subjects as well. So, if you can imagine, you know, basically five years of work. And and understanding methods and tools and theories based on self because the people had to practice on you and you had to practice on them. (laughs) I know, scary. (laughs) So, five years of just constant, you know, figuring it out. And also, I had had some mental health help before that as well with counselors. And I also worked for Lifeline as a crisis counselor. So, there's lots of, you know, just iterative moments that helped me to understand more about. Uh, what the world was about from that perspective, and then how I was yeah. to to move through it, and maybe on the get the other end, get out the other end.
1: Yeah. So, were there particular people that really influenced uh, how you sort of move through those yes. those parts of your life?
2: Mm. There are several people that stand out. There's two people in England when I was 15 who I couldn't get a job because I didn't have an address
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> and I couldn't get an address because, because I didn't have, didn't have a job. job. <laughs> so uh, basically I was in a pub um, with a, a, a fellow and uh, he was my boyfriend at the time and he was trying to help me with places to stay and, and things like that. And the woman actually just let me use her telephone number and her address uh, so that I could actually apply for jobs And then, you know, within moments, I literally within about 48 hours, I had a job and then I was in working and then I could afford a place to live. And another woman, um, she was the first person I rented a room from when I was 15 and I had a £50 note. That's all I had and that's how much it cost per week to have a room. And she just welcomed me with open arms, gave me two weeks instead of one, included food. So those people were strangers to me. I don't even remember their names. I'm not even entirely sure I knew the lady that I stayed with, the rent lady. I don't even know if I knew her name. But I use them example as examples now as well about people going beyond themselves. I'm doing the smallest thing that can change the life on the pathway of a person that you're connected with yeah so they're strangers let them know the people that I've met throughout my life um, who have really been committed to connecting with me and keeping connected so um, there's a lady in Melbourne when I, I first lived in Melbourne and i'm I'm we've known each other now for eighteen years and she was the first person I met in Melbourne and she sort of stuck through all of my emotional baggage that I had as a friend. She's a, she's older than me. She's in her 60s. So she sort of became my surrogate mother, really, in, in Australia. And my husband, you know, he's a, another person who is – people quite often say, well, you're nothing like your parents. And I think, well, no, it's probably because I'm like Phil. <laughs> I met him when I was 17, and he really helped me to um, – to, to grow up really and live some of his family's values rather than mine. I could go on, I can tell you there are some really significant people who've helped shape my integrity and my values.
1: So it's really been a journey of of, of living with people mm. and, and really growing and learning and
2: And seeing them as role models. You know, that they could take a stranger into their family, so to speak. Yeah. And and not turn away and not walk away even when things are difficult. Uh, and even when I was being strange, because I was strange in Melbourne in terms of my mental health was a little bit shaky, um, so I would do strange things. And Robin never turned away. And, um, yeah, I'd be forever grateful. And there's people in England as well from a very early age that looked after me that in, in the street that I lived in when my parents went missing and things would yeah. happen. So and I know I jump around in the timeline a bit, but um, there are just so many different people who, who have shaped Help shape
1: who, who I am and where I want to be. I, I think, yeah, look, I, I really resonate with that. I think that there, I can remember times in my life where, you know, the kindness of strangers in a mm. sense and, and someone really being prepared to trust somebody, trust me yes. in my life where, you know, there was uh, every reason not to trust me, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know, when I was a a a younger person, and and so yeah, that's it's a really those things stick with you, obviously.
2: And I think it's because I had such a shaky upbringing, and people weren't necessarily they didn't have my back. My parents did not have my back, and so those people did. And it took a long time. It it, it took a long time to prove that they would be there. You know, because we're twenty years on now, and so that's helped me to feel secure and safe now. I'd like to
1: be able to give that to other people so. Yeah, and so that sounds as though that's part of what your 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 work is now yes. is is to actually work with people to to bring them to that space of of um, I mean, how would you describe it? What would resourcefulness, you, resourcefulness.
2: inner resourcefulness? Yeah, because people don't come to me to say, "I'm really happy. Can you help me stay there?" <laughs> <laughs> they come because they're transitioning, whether it's relationships or work, career, a project that they're working on, um, some kind of life transition. Yeah, but they're moving from one place to another, and so very quickly, I can work with people to help work through any of the inner uh, psyche or the inner resourcefulness that they're not, they're not feeling or they don't, they don't have abundance of. Yeah. So generally I work around self-belief and, um, and helping people to feel that there's a possibility because often people come to me in the sense of feeling trapped. Yeah. And trapped obviously indicates no choice. And there's always choice, even if all of the choices are poor. <laughs> there can yeah. still be choice. But
1: there may be a different choice. That's right.
2: Yeah. And, yeah, so working with people at that level. Um, whether I really love working with go-getters, like people who want something for themselves or for the world, for their organisation. Yeah. Whatever it is, they know what it is that they want to a degree. Yeah. There might be old stuff pulling them back in their mind. So there's these,
1: yeah, Absolutely. pulling them down or these barriers yeah. that they can't move through. Just
2: stopping them from yeah. being able to like fully immerse themselves into the idea or project or relationship. So, So I really love being able to clear the cobwebs, so to speak, yep. and help people get rid of anything that's just masking them.
1: Yeah. Mm. One of the things in these, these interviews or these discussions that I'm really interested in is is the concept of purpose. And in a sense, uh, what I hear you talking about just there is is obviously a, a sort of drive in you or a, a purpose in you. But if I do ask the direct question and say, do you, do you have a, a way of describing what your purpose is?
2: Yes. There's two ways in which I go about that. The first one is generally when people say to me, you know, so what do you do or who are you? Yeah. I go, at the end of the day, I don't want other people to get to the end of their life, or me to, <laughs> as well, but yeah. I don't want anyone to get to the end <laughs> of their life and look back upon it and think, oh, that's not who I wanted to be.
1: Yeah.
2: Not necessarily that's not what I wanted to do, more about that's not who I wanted to be.
1: Yeah.
2: Because I believe... So you can do
1: the same thing, but yes. you can actually be yes. different, like way of manifesting and we
2: might choose the what yeah and the what might not have worked out but who were you during the working out or not working out part yeah how did you act and i truly and truly believe that i don't care what standards people have for their life as long as they have some
1: yeah
2: so i don't mean people need to have the uh, goal to change the world they may want to um, have a really healthy family There could be all sorts of different standards of which they place on their life. I do care that they have some. So there's three keys to my purpose that I've broken down that I I strongly believe in, and that's increasing self-belief and understanding the standards that you have around that self-belief as well. Also knowing that you have choice. So we touched on that before. So people that we all have choice and that, and that, that we just need to be able to see it and also exercising kindness, whether it's to self or to other people. So I believe that they're the keys to help us increase our inner resourcefulness ultimately so that we don't get to the end and think that we've wasted something of ourselves. So my purpose is to encourage that in myself and everybody else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And is that something that for you has has been a, a sort of a path to get to that Mm. understanding. Absolutely. And and is that, like if you were to say now, like how long has that sort of been a a sort of crystallization?
2: How how long has it been a crystallization? Probably one or two years. It's taken me that long to be able to say those sentences. Yep. 36 years, that's how old I am, to find out that that's what it is. (laughs) And it continues to grow. It's an iterative process. I get asked this question a bit. Um, did you just know? Was there a turning point? Mm-hmm. No. It's an accumulation of events that happen over a period of time that allow you to eliminate what you don't want, bring in what you do want, and I know fully that will continue to happen. So if we were to sit here again in five years, and another five years, and another five years, I'd probably have different words to describe those things. I think ultimately I believe my purpose will be the same, but it might just
1: sound different as I crystallise Yeah, well, I'm really job. interested in that because that is one of the things I'm really asking people as I go and, and have these conversations is, um, so obviously there is this sense for you that um, maybe how you would have described purpose, say, 5 or 10 or 15 mm-hmm. years ago may have been different. But um, it also sounds for you that that uh, sort of 10, 15, 20 years ago, the purpose may have actually been not understood or, or wouldn't Just have been able not. to be no. sort of described. Either. That's
2: right. Yeah. Because if you think about it, you know, my early purpose was survival. Yep. Then it was trying to build relationships and then it was earning money. Um, then it would be... Partying, <laughs> it would be connecting with people at a sexual level because I went through a massive phase of using sex as full sense of security yep. when I was homeless around that age. Um, and then it was about you know trying to find a place in the world
0: yeah, and what, yeah.
2: what how do I want to be? And a lot of a lot of the time, um, my purpose would have been manipulation because I manipulated a lot of other people um, in my relationships in my early 20s because I didn't trust people and I yeah. didn't feel that...
1: But you were I trying to get your important. needs met. That's
2: exactly right. Yeah. So, all, you know, this purpose is all the way through that, and now I've sort of come out the other end and started to really focus on outside of myself.
1: But the purpose that you describe now is very conscious. Yes. And, and is very, um, you know, it has, has a, a, a set of values yes. that are really clearly articulated for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And, and so what you were also saying was is that that sort of 5, 10, 20 year into the future, you were saying that you might describe it differently but the actual underlying purpose may be the same.
2: Yeah, I believe that. because I've done so much work on what I want for the world my you know, in my life. What's my life yeah. about? Like why, what imprint would I have made or what impact would have happened because I existed? Sometimes you can, it can be a little bit egotistical thinking about things in that way as well, because you know my importance in the world. But at the same time, we, we need ego to drive our messages and our missions. So, uh, but then again, I never say never because you know five years ago I may have had a political opinion about something, and now I've got new information, my opinion has changed. So I can only tell you what I think I know. <laughs>
1: yeah. And it sort of does, I mean, you know, there's arguments as to whether values are, you know, constant and and unchanging or whether they change as you change, as I, your experiences I change. I believe that they
2: change, yeah, yeah, in my experience with working with people and seeing that I believe that values and virtues will change.
1: Yeah. 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 So, so you're still a unfolding work.
2: Absolutely, as we all are. <laughs> and happy to... Um, to continue to evolve. Because, you know, if you think about even the fact we're sitting here with microphones and whatnot and they're able to then broadcast this to yeah, people that we yeah. don't know, I don't know what's going to happen in yeah. five years from a technological perspective. So, how I go about my purpose will probably change.
1: Undoubtedly. I don't yeah. know. I, don't, I can't see well, certainly don't know the, how yeah, over 20 or 30 years. Absolutely. I can't imagine it won't.
2: Well, yeah. I think, you know, the work that I've done to really cement. What I believe my life is about will have a lot of um, similarity.
1: Yeah.
2: Even though I might have new information that changes as I get more knowledge or the world yeah. changes around yeah. me. Now.
1: So what gives you the energy to do what you do? I, I've known you for a couple of years through the Uniting for Homelessness um, and you always seem to have uh, energy. So,
2: I think I'm clean. Of uh, negativity, for the most part. Not to say I don't feel negative sometimes. I do, yeah. but I put, I put a time limit on it. I bring negative. I, I try to reduce impact of negativi- negativity yeah. very um, quickly. Um, but, uh, I'm also very clear on what I'm doing and why yeah. I want it, and I think with that clarity comes uh, simple uh, application. So I'm not constantly wondering what I'm doing and how I feel about it and all those sorts of things. Uh, I'm very clear about that, and I have a good skill set that goes along with the vision as well. So I'm competent in what I do as well as feeling you know, that I know what it is that I want to do. And I believe all of those things together allow you to, to be in flow, allows you to uh, be at your best from a motivational perspective, and that just makes me very excited.
1: And so I bounce
2: around <laughs> just wanting to do more.
1: Bounce is a good word. <laughs> but um, are there particular sort of um, strategies that you use to on a daily basis? Is there even a you know a way that you yeah. set up your day?
2: Have to have a lot of variety. Yeah. yeah. So I I cannot be in a room for eight hours. You know I cannot be a trainer. I'm really good at training, and it yeah. has to be two or three hours maximum. Um, if I'm going to do anything during the daytime, I just need to have lots of variety, different locations with different people. Yep. And I also get lots of sleep and I don't wake up with an alarm.
1: Oh, that's such a good thing.
2: Yes. I'd love to be able to do it. I was
1: talking with people on the weekend. It was like, it's almost like uh, uh, a vision. I would love to be able to be in that position. I'm not yet, but uh, yeah.
2: Well, I actually use a technique if you want me to share it. Oh, yeah, go for yeah. it. I'm sure lots of people will um, benefit from it. So I use um, triggers before I go to sleep to be able to empty my subconscious filing cabinet. That's what I call it. Yeah. And basically, I will lay on my back with a light on. Most people have a bedside table lamp. Yeah. But lay ba- on, on my back with the light on for about five to ten minutes, and it's called thinking time, not reading, not looking at the television, not phones or nothing, just completely allowing your subconscious to finish what it's been doing because yeah. quite often we don't sleep because we're doing stuff in our subconscious that we haven't yet finished off. So I might think think the most random things and I just allow them to be thought, just go with it, yeah. get carried with it. And then after, it feels, it's around about ten minutes, it feels like I feel, okay, I'm ready to switch off now. I lay on my side and I turn the light off. And that's a physical trigger for your body to understand that this is now sleep time. And ever since then, I have had very good sleep. And also, if I do wake in the middle of the night, say I've eaten too much sugar or too much food or something before I've gone to sleep, and then I wake up and then I start thinking about something, either because I'm excited or worried or whatever it might be, I I, I say to myself, your brain, Suzanne, is an absolute machine and it is a special effects department and the best special (laughs) effects department in the world and at the moment you are hallucinating (laughs) you are in an illusion because right now what you need to do is sleep so just allow that to go so i actually have to do a conversation with myself so this is not what i need to be doing right now and then i go back to sleep
1: yeah Yeah. so
2: that's been working really well for a good five years now
1: Yeah. yeah i must admit i i sleep very well but um and it's interesting because I think there are sometimes when I go to bed and I know that I have to get up at a particular time, and I just do, and I don't have to have an alarm. Yeah. But there are other times when I just, uh, yes,
2: yeah.
1: yes, need that that prompt to actually get up.
2: Yeah. So I do try not to set an alarm. I let my body wake up when it needs to, and that can be really varying. I've noticed as well between five thirty and seven thirty, maybe mm. even eight sometimes. Mm. So I don't. I don't have meetings very early in the morning. I tend to make meetings from 10 o'clock onwards so that I can have an ease into the day. Sometimes I'm working from 7 o'clock, but um, essentially I don't have to be anywhere. Yeah,
1: so you're not setting up 7.30 breakfast meetings.
2: Well, actually I do do that, but I like breakfast meetings because I like, like bacon and eggs. (laughs) So there's a good motivation as well.
1: Is there anything that, you know, do you you use meditation practices or things like that?
2: Yeah, and I do it really quickly. So I teach meditation and I do meditation classes. And I've gotten to the point where I can change my state very quickly. So it can be 30 seconds to two minutes where I just close my eyes and get very focused on my intentions and my attention. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I use little practices. And what I'd like to increase doing actually more of is transitioning between places. So spending 30 seconds or so uh, in a practice of breathing and setting intentions, transitioning between activities yeah, or spaces yeah, that you're yeah. in.
1: So it's being very intentional about, yeah. you know, noting the transition. And, yes.
2: Yeah. And whilst I think I'm quite good at it, I'd like to be a little bit more conscious of it and uh, – a
1: little bit more intentional around that. So that's something I'm working on. Yeah, okay. Um, can I... I know this is really, in effect, a lot of what your work is about, but if, if somebody, you know, whether it's through your work or, or through other ways, you know, was saying to you, I'm really not sure what my purpose is or, you know, how do I go about actually understanding why I'm here or yeah. what I'm about... I know it's a huge question, but, you know, <laughs> so, what, what's, yes. what's important to you when, when someone's actually sort of not sure about what their purpose is and how do you actually assist someone?
2: Yeah. Well, the first thing that I always do is help people to get into a sense of resourcefulness. Yeah. So quite often when people come to me with that question, they don't believe they're worth a purpose or they don't think that they, sh- you know, they should have one or that they deserve one. So I actually get people into a state of resourcefulness so they think that there is a possibility and that they're now willing to explore. So then when we get to that stage, um, I actually start to get people to look at the end of their life. I take them to the very end of their life in their imagination and look at all this, some beautiful neuro neurolingu- neurolinguistic techniques that I use that help people to search inside of their subconscious about some rules that they set up, at the standards of their life. And so we look at the very early ages of their life and the very end of their life and and today's part of their life and look at all the similarities and trends of what's important to them. And as we start to look at that, we start to get a really clear picture of the core of who they are and what's the most important thing for them in the world, for themselves. Then I go outside of themselves. So strategically and practically and from a work role perspective or from a personal perspective or a family perspective, what imprint would you have left on your life? And so we start to then explore those importances and they will then be able to formulate their own purpose, no matter what all standards, whatever that is, from there. Mm. So it's a real sort of process of starting with resourcefulness and then looking at what's important in their life.
1: And is that a purpose or a, a process, rather, where, um, you know, there's, there's variety? Do you, do you really see variety in the way that people can, can go through that process in terms of, how quickly or how deeply people can access those states or?
2: yeah, I am very fortunate I think one of my unique advantages is that I can build rapport very quickly yeah. and create a place where people can go very deeply very quickly so with me it's three sessions that's it they, you know they get to a point where they go right I have some forward momentum in which they can become self-sufficient in the question as well they don't need me yeah,
1: yeah. Um,
2: from a process perspective or I think people tend to, to go through the same process because it's a natural question for people yeah. to ask. Yeah, yeah. And they go through the same sort of questioning ideals within themselves. So I do see trends in the way people go about yeah. processing that question.
1: So when, when you've been doing that work with people, do you, do you get the sense sometimes that people are surprised about where they end up?
2: Yes. Mm. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think a lot of people don't believe they can even get there to start with. And that's, well, that's yeah. why I would start with that, because otherwise you're just trying to. I wanted to say flog a dead horse, but that is so not the right <laughs> saying. But you know what I mean? I don't mean yeah, it like that, yeah, but that's yeah, the only yeah, saying yeah. that came to my head.
1: I'm not sure what the alternative
2: is. I know, that's exactly so I thought I'd just say it so yeah. everyone knows why I paused. Um, but yes, I, I think people do get surprised because they, they underestimate their own ability And so very quickly we can get to the point where people realise that they're actually good and they're worthwhile and they have something to say. Yeah. And that surprises them. I love that surprise too.
1: And And some people, I mean, in a sense, is part of that that some people feel actually I'm not really very deep, like I don't have any deep meaning and thought.
2: They do. Yeah. And also, again, though, that's whatever standards work for you, My very best friend, Suzanne, same name, Um, I'll never forget the time when I had travelled across the Nullarbor here in Australia, um, which is a desert, you know, three hour, sorry, three day drive. I'd never been in a desert. I put my hand up in front of my face and I couldn't see at all in the desert night. And I rang her up and I said, oh, I've had the most, you know, exceptional experience. And I described it all to her. And she replied with, you'll never guess what happened to me. I brought the best wrapping paper for my mum's Christmas present. <laughs> and I thought, how different could we be? Yet she is completely incongruently. That is, that is her life. Yeah. She has two kids. She cleans a couple of houses. She goes to Greece on holiday or wherever it is. And that is the life that she wants to have. And she is completely happy. Yeah. And I'm completely different and completely happy. And it's just a great illustration of what standards yeah. cause people to feel, you know, exceptionally motivated. Or happy. And
1: yet you can also be best of friends.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, so that was really, that was really interesting. Yeah.
1: So if, if, um, if I was to ask you, you know, are there particular um, suggestions that you would make to people, you know, in terms of books or blogs or podcasts um, that actually are important to you, or you find uh, sort of interesting. Mm.
2: I really like listening to NPR, says so N for Nelly, P for Peter, R for. Roger. So it's the American, yeah,
1: yeah station. American oh. station, yeah.
2: And it's a, a compilation of the TED Talks.
1: Oh, okay, all right. So they spend
2: yep. fifty minutes, basically. Say the the, perp- the purpose of this topic was purpose. Yeah. They would get different TED Talks clips of those yeah. TED Talks, and then interview the talker. So yeah. basically, they would have you'd have you listen to a little bit of the TED Talk, and then the person talking about that part. Oh wow! I've
1: been actually seen that one, so I'll, yeah. I'll find it and yeah. I'll put it in the show That'd notes so that people can see it. Because
2: you can listen to it in the car. I love, I love podcasts. It. Yes. Yeah. Well, obviously, because you're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know. That's right. <laughs> So NPR is really good. I love it for trips that are, you know, 30 minutes in the car yeah. or on the train, wherever you might be. That's really good. Um, what else do I – I spend most of my time doing rather than listening and reading, I have yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah. I'm not too much of a reader, though I have a lot of books, and I have learned that you don't actually have to read the whole book. You can skim through it and get inspiration from a chapter and things like that. I yeah. always just think I have to read the whole thing you know, in order and very deeply.
1: It was so, a revelation to me, actually, when I was at uni that reading the intro and the conclusion of a journal article was actually as much as you needed to do a lot of the
2: time. I remember doing my master's just recently, and I cried thinking, I, I cannot read that entire book, and someone actually had to sit down. you don't have to read the whole thing, you just need to take the, what? So that's what I started to realise I didn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do like reading things uh, that I, I am reading a book. or oh, this will be a good one for everyone. Um, the Emotional Life of Your Brain by Dr. Richard Davidson. Oh, okay. So is
1: that a recent book?
2: Recent, and it's got new uh, neuroscience research in it that talks about genes. So it's the whole nature and nurture oh. discussion.
1: So what's coming out of that for you?
2: Um, what I'm really happy to read is that there's a lot of nurture in our lives. But what he's found, which is new, is that, yes, we bring our family systemics through our genes. So when we're born, we're born somewhat a blank s- slate in terms of our ability to process emotions. We don't have we don't think about our hair <laughs> or whether we're stressed or how should we take an umbrella or um, how is that person judging me. We don't have all of that when we're born. We're just literally in survival. mode. Yeah, yeah. But what's interesting is that he's researched over the last 30 years uh, that genes, whilst we have predispositions to be a certain way through our genetics, we actually have the ability to either turn those genes on or not. Mm -hmm. And so subconsciously, whilst we might have the predisposition to be joyful or a smoker or uh, very negative or whatever it might be, just because we have that doesn't mean that we can. We need to exercise those genes. So subconsciously, we have the ability to to turn them on and turn them off. Which means, just because our parents or the people before us in our family line have been a certain way, doesn't mean we have to be. And I think that's very important for people to understand. Because yeah. a lot of people are spending their lives thinking that their their genes control them, or yeah, the environment yeah. or society controls them. And there's so just so much research to say that's not true.
1: So a real sense for some people that personal choice is actually not real. Yes. Yeah.
2: And that's that's one of the things I'd really like to help people understand. So whilst there are some predispositions, we have the ability to shape them, change them, exercise new ways. Yeah. 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 And shape our future of our family so that they have new predispositions.
1: So you can interrupt that cycle yes. of, of family. Yes. Yeah.
2: Whether it's violence or excessive happiness, which we would like to promote. (laughs) Whatever, whatever whatever. (laughs)
1: works. Is there anything you're involved in at the moment that you'd like to sort of talk about? I mean, the thing with podcasts is that somebody might be listening to this three or four years down the track, but um, is there something that really is is important to you right at the moment?
2: Mm. I'm an ambassador for R U OK? Yeah. And I don't think that will ever change. So hopefully, even if you're listening to this 20 years down the track, yeah. we'll still yeah. be going with it. So many of you would have heard of are You U OK? Day, or are You U OK? Particularly in Australia. And being an ambassador for that organisation is incredibly heartwarming because it's really about promoting and, and helping people to understand that when we ask the question of other people, whether they be work colleagues, or strangers, family members... It's how to receive the answer and how to support that person through to an action if they're not okay. It's a really simple campaign, you know, and 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 I think the more we can genuinely take interest in other people by asking that question, not just the superficial, you know, are you okay and I don't really care about what the answer is. I actually mean, you know, are you okay and how can I support you if you're not? Yeah. Uh, that campaign will change the rate of suicide in our country and in the world.
1: Yeah. And I know that you've, as an ambassador, you've spoken a number of times and, and to different types of groups. I mean, what sort of response have you had when you... Oh, it's
2: incredible. I spoke to a large distribution centre here in Perth. It's one kilometre long. It was a big warehouse. Like a big warehouse.
1: shopping centre. Oh, I oh, don't know, like a...
2: Yeah, it's like a packing, yeah. A packing place. Okay. Yeah, okay for an organisation yeah. that we all know, but I don't think I have permission to say no, 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 So I'll just say distribution centre. And um, so they had hundreds of staff and they basically had the whole – it was on You U OK? Day, this particular one. And they had activities throughout the whole day. So I spoke to oh, them for wow. 15 minutes and then the next group would come in and the next group. Then they had a sausage sizzle. They had um, this competition where they had to kick a ball through a uh, uh, – a goal and things like that and every time they got it the organisation would do a dollar donation and things like that so they were kicking it really fast <laughs> and really getting good results as well so oh, they good, would have good. been donated quite a lot but the people in the room um, there were so many different types of people and a lot of guys and there's an organisation that support them which is the Young Guns which I will say because Young Guns is an organisation that gets young people Who want to be physically fit or need to be physically fit and still work at the same time? So, i.e., there was a rugby team there. Oh. My third group was a rugby team, and they work there because they move. They instead of getting forklifts and things like that, they physically move all the stuff off the containers into the into the packing area.
1: Packing area. So it's like a physical activity. Yeah. So they
2: keep fit and earn money at the same time. And it's also for people who are um, in need of an entry level manual job as well. So when I was, I was talking to this group and I noticed these big rugby dudes basically listening to me talk about my homelessness and, you know, and then talking them through all the principles of RUAKs, okay? all pretty touchy, feely And I just remember this one really big Mari looking guy just nudged his supervisor who's sitting next to me and he kind of looked at him and nodded and pointed at me as if to go, she's, yeah, what she's saying is good. <laughs>
0: And yeah. afterwards,
2: they were asking questions, their hands were up, they were talking to each other. There was no snide comments. You know, like I was really impressed with the seriousness that yeah. people take this. And I found that everywhere that I've spoken. That's
1: really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think it really has changed over the last, you know, whatever it is, 10, 20 years. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're sort of coming towards the end of the, the interview, but is there anything that um, you wanted to sort of add? I may not have asked the right question, so
2: mm-hmm.
1: is there uh, something that's on your mind?
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Should we go into a coaching session and see, show everybody what it's like to be coached? <laughs> I, oh, yes, yes, thank you. I just needed a little bit of a pause then to let my subconscious do its little message, and it came. I, I, as you've probably worked out, I trust my subconscious because it has a lot of information in it. Yeah. And so I give myself space to n- not always consciously know, and then I just use my instincts. So that that's something I'd love for people to do more of. Um, but what I would really like to mention to people, especially in this day and age, is that I think there's a lot of people trying to inspire others, which is lovely. But they're not painting a true picture of polarity of life. And what I mean is there's a lot of rose-coloured glasses and the rah-rah-rah and everything's great and you always have choice all the time and you can do anything you want. And whilst I think a lot of that rings true, I think there are other dimensions to that that need to be taken into consideration because there's also then other things in life that come our way that we don't necessarily have control over. And I believe a lot of people are trying to take personal responsibility for things that are actually outside of their control and that's causing them to doubt themselves. So Alain de Botan is another person who just came to me. Um, if you can go, if you can find the TEDx talk and put this in your link as well, it's yeah. the kinder, gentler version of success or something like that is the title. And he talks about the fact that with thousands and thousands of years of history, we've always worshipped something greater than ourselves, a God or a spirit or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah. And only in the last 20 years or so have we actually turned inward and started to worship ourselves as a human being. And with that, he says, and I i, quite, I really do agree with him, is that we, whilst we take our successes very personally and it, it boosts our self-esteem and who we are, we also take our failures very personally. Yeah. And so you can imagine that roller coaster of being successful, failing, being successful, failing, and then linking that to the identity of who you are. That's a really big roller coaster, right? And he says in his talk that there are so many factors that are outside of our control. Economics, we might trip over. There might we might be born with certain predispositions that just means that I won't be able to sing like Pavarotti until I'm fifty. I will be able to do it, but I need, I need longer than he needed, yeah, yeah. Uh, or whatever it is that we're doing. There are so many factors to it that we, the universe provides but we can't actually see them or we don't know which way we're going. So I would like to leave people with a message of understanding that we have a lot of choice and there, we have a lot of possibility and there is a lot of ways that we can train our neurology to be able to be a certain way and, and drive and get the things that we want and to be gentle on ourselves and realize that there's also another side of that wherever there's light there's shadow where there's darkness yeah. there's day and night and um it's just about understanding there's more that sides to the coin than one and that we i believe as humans need to increase our skill in being able to detach ourselves from labels and the good and the bad and be able to move through life emotionally holding ourselves through all of The ups and downs of life, and that whilst there's a lot of things in our control, focus on those. Do not focus on the things that are out of control, because once we start believing that those are our responsibility, we're actually setting ourselves up. So that's what I would like to say as my final thoughts. (laughs) No, thank
1: you. That was. I'm very glad I asked that last question. Yes. Look, thank you, Suzanne. It's been an amazing. Uh, time listening to you and and talking with you um you've been incredibly generous and open and it's my pleasure. yeah I'm, I'm still uh very impressed by your energy oh, um you. that's always something that i've noticed with you and um i hopefully uh all the people who listen to this can really get a sense of that as well so thank you again and um yeah
2: My pleasure. And thank you for having me. And I hope that your listeners enjoy all of your podcasts and all that you bring to them. So thank you very much,
0: too. No worries. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Living With Purpose interview series. There are show notes for each episode that you can get on the www.livingwithpurposeinterviews.com website. You can also connect with Francis on Twitter at underscore Francis Lynch, on LinkedIn or on email at francislynch.me at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode as a podcast, then subscribe on your player
2: and tell your friends. Thanks, and join us again soon.